Hi, I'm Carmen LaBurge. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBurge. Thanks for listening to this special Best of Mornings with Carmen LaBurge on Faith Radio. Well, welcome back. Um, As I've been giving thought to what to talk about with you in this week between Christmas and New Year's, it occurs to me that we should spend a little time reflecting on not only the good gifts that we have received, but the ways in which God has used us to bless the lives of others. And so how has God sent you as a gift this year into the lives of other people? How have you allowed God to be demonstrated and visible so that others could catch a glimpse um, that he is near and present and loves them. So give yourself uh, the gift today of a little time reflecting on the ways in which God has sent you as an ambassador of his kingdom, the ways in which God has used you as an instrument of his grace or a minister of his reconciling love. I bet you're going to be able to come up with several places, examples, divine appointments, encounters that you could have never orchestrated, but that God certainly did. When we talked with um, David Zach very, very early in 2021, one of the things that struck me about the conversation is that, you know, he just views himself as so ordinary a guy um, being used by God to make a real difference in the lives of other people because of the platform that God has given him Um, you know, as a Christian musician, a person with a fairly high profile um, in the entertainment world. And so next, we're going to revisit that conversation with David Zach on his work with the Exodus Road and how God is using an ordinary person to um, really lift up and even liberate the lives of others. You're listening to a special edition of Mornings with Carmen. joins me now. You might recognize his name from the band Remedy Drive, but I'm pretty sure that's not the way that he desires to be known. And so, David, welcome to Mornings with Carmen. Hey, it's great to be with you this morning. Um, It is great to have you here. You are um, an ordinary guy who is pressing the full force of his life into seeing that other human beings would be set free. Is that, uh, would that be a preferred way of hearing yourself described? Yeah, that was awesome. Thank you. Yeah, I described you um, uh, to others as a justice warrior and a human dignity advocate uh, who uses music uh, as a platform to not only express the message, but reach into the hearts and minds of emerging generations. Talk with us about your mission and how um, and how you're walking that out in the reality of life today. So for the past seven and a half years, uh, We've partnered our band, Remedy Drive, with a counter-trafficking organization called the Exodus Road. And we're using um, our music to shine a light on slavery and injustice 
and to rally our community under the banner of freedom. Um, and then I go overseas with the Exodus Road to Asia, to Latin America, and we do undercover work. I spy on uh, criminal networks that are selling children against their will uh, in red light districts. Then we gather evidence and intelligence. Then we partner with authorities to make raids on the, the mafias, the crime syndicates that are selling kids. That And hopefully the goal would be that that results in freedom for these girls and boys, and, so, and a lot of times women too, but also dismantling the criminal networks and sending a message that somebody's watching, somebody's looking out. You know, David, um, I don't have the expectation that there probably are a lot of, uh, of individuals right now who are listening to you and I have this conversation who are living in the circumstance that you described, but there may be some. There may be someone right now um, with an earshot of this message who is in bondage, in very real bondage as, as a slave who has been trafficked. And, um, and we want to speak directly to you. You, you are seen and we know um, that you're there. And we're not going to stop. We're not going to stop until you have been liberated and set free. Um, David, do you want to speak um, for a moment to that individual who's listening right now who thinks that no one is ever coming for them? I would say you're valuable. There's hope. There is a life that exists on the other side of this. Um, and there's people that, that care that are here waiting to help help you on your restoration journey. Uh, and I'm, I, I've met a lot of those people here in the United States and around the world. Let's talk a little bit about um, this, this music project that is uh, about to drop. Um, talk with me about Amage, uh, Amaga, mm-hmm. how do you pronounce it? Imago Amago Amor. Amor. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. It's a little early. Imago Amor. <laughs> It's our third of three counter-trafficking albums in a trilogy of, of, of music. Ever since 2014, we've been writing music around this issue. And Imago Amor is uh, it's Latin and Spanish for the phrase, the image of love. And my dream is to uh, try to breathe, breathe a little bit of oxygen on that spark, that divine spark that we all have. Remind, reminding anybody that hears it that, that you're valuable, that someone that you don't necessarily see eye to eye with is also valuable and important and created in such a unique and intricate and fearful and wonderful way. Um, and, uh, of course, it, 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 it carries the themes of the abolition movement, too. Talking with David Zach of Remedy Drive, we're talking about um, music. We're also talking about human liberation. Uh, we're talking about a music project, Imago Amor, uh, that is about to drop. Um, David, I can't, I cannot ever talk about this topic or this subject. We just, we just spoke earlier this week about what doctors and people in the medical profession can do. Um, to identify victims of human trafficking and and come alongside them, even just in the midst of a um, uh, of an office visit and those kinds of things. This is a topic that uh, I till the soil of um, throughout the year because this is uh, this is reality and it's not something that we can ever turn our attention away from um, because the darkness here is really dark. Can you just reflect personally um, on? 
Like, how do you live as a person of light and joy, knowing the depths of this darkness? Because you can't, you can't do this every moment of every day, like, or you would lose your ability to breathe. So talk with us a little bit about, about that. How do you live as a person of light and a person of joy, knowing what you know, having seen what you've seen, and knowing how many more people there are um, yet to be liberated? Well, there's 40 million people impacted by slavery on my watch and on your watch. Mm-hmm. More than any other time in human history. It was 10 million or so during the days of Frederick Douglass and Harriet Tubman. Um, but I, I, I have a responsibility to live my life with joy, to love my daughters and to dance with them, even though I hear the same song sometimes when I'm dancing at home with my girls that I've heard at the bars or the clubs uh, the nightclubs, the discotheques that I that I that I'm working in overseas, uh, and here's why: I think that we're designed. I don't think it. I know it. There is something that burns inside of your veins. There's a magnetism to this justice movement and justice movements in general that we're drawn to, and the the way that you are designed, it's woven into the very fabric of your soul. It's woven into your DNA strands. You have this longing to participate. I have a longing to participate in someone else's freedom. I have, I have a desire to be part of change, to be part of hope. And it's going to require, to satisfy that longing, it's, it's going to require a proximity to sorrow. It really is. There, there is something for you to do that was prepared before the foundations of the earth were fastened. And it has to do with becoming more like the design for humanity. And we see that exemplified in a man they called the man of sorrows who's acquainted with grief. So when, when I acquaint myself with this grief, when I, when I, when I s- sit down with a girl that's being sold against her will with the hopes that the evidence that I'm gathering will, will lead to her freedom, I'm going to carry that sorrow with me for a long time. And I'm okay with that because I don't think there's going to be the true sort of fulfilling, abundant joy that I would have otherwise. It's part of our design. Um, to acquaint ourselves with grief. Proximity to sorrow. That's a, um, that's a powerful um, recognition. The, this longing within us to contribute to the freedom of another human being, that is real. Um, I just, uh, you are, you're speaking to people's hearts and I, I genuinely appreciate that. Hey, I'm going to continue this conversation in just a moment. Talking with David Zach from Remedy Drive Yes, we're talking about their brand new project, um, which is about to drop Imago Amor, A-M-O-R, for those of you who might be looking for it um, on the Googler. Um, But we're also talking about the passion and the mission behind their ministry, behind their music. And that is the battle, um, the battle of freedom for those 40 million individuals who on our watch are living in modern day slavery. We'll be right back. That is uh, the refrain of the title track from Image Amor, the project about to drop. From Remedy Drive, we're talking with David Zach, whose voice you hear there. Yes, that's your voice. Yes, I might be making that up. It is, yeah. No. See, there you go. Um, Okay, so um, God gave you girls. I wrote that in my notes, and um, that's uh, that's a sacred trust. 
um, to be entrusted with with kids, with children, with the hearts and nurture of other uh, of other people. How has how is being a dad? Um, I mean, I, I just I, there has to be a bit of a haunting there uh, in relationship to the mission that you are on as well. Can you just reflect on that for a moment? There is haunting. There are there are moments that haunt me when I'm doing undercover work with the Exodus Road that I look back at, um, especially this last trip when I was in Thailand. There's there's boys that we were part of rescuing that were my son's age now. He's 15. And seeing them in that situation, and it there's it, there's a sorrow connected to it. And and this, for for me, it ha- it's all started with my daughter. I watched that that documentary Coney 2012, and she was only five, Ava, and and we're we're seeing a certain type of slavery where boys are forced into the slavery of warfare at at eight years old, at nine years old, and their sisters are forced to be the child brides of generals. And Ava says, Dad. Why not God protect those boys? And I, I, I felt so helpless, knowing that I, I have a little bit to do, but is it really going to matter in that moment? And it really pushed me over the edge into, um, you know, you played a little bit of our our song all along. We went indie as because of that moment with my daughter. We became an independent band because we wanted to 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 focus specifically on this. Uh, on this issue of slavery and injustice. And um, so she's, she's really a big part of it from the beginning. My other daughter, it was, it was rough telling her one time uh, when I came back, I was talking to her and she said, dad, when you're, when you're looking for the guys that um, sell girls, do you use a lightsaber like Anakin Skywalker? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I had to tell her no. And I'm, but for a while, I like it that my daughter imagined me in that context. And now they understand more now that they're older, but, um, I hope I hope that uh, that they see this example of courage in their dad, and that it it moves them to be brave in their own way as they as they move into their lives. Um, what you're doing is um, is extraordinary, and yet I think you would describe yourself as an ordinary person. Um, and I want you to remind everybody out there who's thinking that is just so much more than I could ever do. Um, and and I think you're going to tell us that it's not and that it's actually our responsibility. Like knowing what we know, um, seeing what we have seen, being aware of what we're aware of, it, it is unfaithful of us to fail to act. I would agree with you. And um, I don't know the repercussions of, of that unfaithfulness, but I know the repercussions of faithfulness are, like I said earlier, you were made for something. There was a good work that was prepared for you. That's the whole purpose of your faith is to participate with the creator as he continues to make things new. And this, this broken thing can be made new. Uh, uh, William Wilberforce, the abolitionist said, you can choose to look the other way, but you can never again say you did not know. And I think the biggest thing that would keep any of us from getting involved is that feeling that what I have to offer isn't, isn't really that much. And that's how I felt. I, I, I got some songs. Maybe I'll write some songs. What is that really going to do though? Um, and I've watched the waters part, uh, like they did for Moses of old when he, when he led a million enslaved people to their freedom. I've, I've seen that in my own life. I've seen the magnetism of this cause 
and I have the currency of my voice, and I'm going to invest the currency of my voice on the modern-day abolition movement, specifically with the Exodus Road. And there's a currency that you have that I don't have. We're, we're, we're using both of us, our microphones, as currency this morning, and, and the airwaves as currency. But everybody that's listening has five loaves of bread and two fish. In some way, when you bring that to the maker, he'll lift it up like he did and bless it and turn it into something, something remarkable. And so my, my challenge would be, what, what is the currency that you have? Your time, your art, your creativity, your moral capital, your political capital. You have something that's uniquely yours, your voice, your fingerprints. What are you going to spend it on? You're going to spend it on something. And I would, love, I would love to invite you into this movement with us in some way. Maybe it starts with a tweet. Maybe it starts with a fundraiser. Whatever it is, you can use what you already love doing and do it in the direction of freedom. See, that's very empowering um, to consider that people can use whatever they're already doing um, and use it uh, to leverage justice in the life of another person. Um, the invitation that you just issued is um, is simple and yet really, really profound. It's do the next, do one thing, do something, don't yeah. do nothing. That's what I hear you saying. Um, do yeah. something, don't do nothing. Um, and, you know, a, a, a tweet... Um, financially supporting somebody who is engaged directly in this kind of um, rescue mission, involving yourself, becoming educated, speaking out, talking to your pastor about having a sermon on this topic, doing a uh, a small group Bible study, um, exposing yourself to the information that is available. And, you know, David and I will both tell you the darkness on this topic is dark. The darkness on this topic is dark. But we are people of light, and we don't run away from darkness. We, we shine a light into it and on it um, that sin might be revealed and that people might be set free. That is the heart here. Um, David, Zach, thank you for what you're doing every single day. Thank you for uh, using the currency of music and your gifting as an artist uh, to, to bring others not only to the point of awareness, but to help us um, learn to sing songs that— um, bear light, genuinely bear light. Uh, and so we, we genuinely appreciate that. You guys can uh, find David Zach through Remedy Drive. You can find uh, the Exodus Road and all that they're doing online as well. And we want you to uh, check out the third, uh, the third part of a trilogy, Imago Amor, uh, which is a project that is, is about to drop in just a couple of days. Hey, thank you, uh, David, so much for joining us today. Uh, and for being being who you are in the kingdom advance of our generation. Thank you for having me on the show. Absolutely. We'll be right back. They tried to take your name. You face the whirlwind. You taste the toxic rain. And you're still standing. You say I am strong when I think I am weak. And you say I am held. All right, so one of the things that I'm always encouraging us to think about and consider is how our life, um, how our faith is engaging the realities of the culture around us, like how we're allowing God to bring our life to bear on the cultural issues of the day. One of the ways that we phrase it is, you know, how am I bringing the mind of Christ to bear on the headline news? That's some of the lingo. Um, But really what that's about is seeing the places and spaces where God wants to use me as a Christian 
to influence the ongoing conversation around me. And so I thought it would be good to revisit again the conversation we had with Alfonso Espinoza, um, because it really is not just a, cult, a conversation about cultural engagement, but a conversation about faith that genuinely engages the culture. So listen um, again to the conversation that we had with Alfonso Espinoza. And thanks again for listening to this special edition of Mornings with Carmen. Who I find my worth in you, I find my identity. Thrilled to have with us today, Dr. Alfonso Espinosa. Um, he is joining us about his most recent book, Faith That Engages the Culture, and we're going to encourage you to find him on Facebook at Pastor AOE. Alfonso, welcome to Mornings with Carmen. Carmen, it's so great to be on. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. Um, it's fun to talk with you. Engaging, uh, engaging culture and the way that our faith engages the culture is definitely a point of interest to each and every one of us as Christians today. Um, I, one of the things I just genuinely appreciated is that the, the way um, you describe sort of like what God's doing in terms of the people we in, who intersect with us in our life. So this is a calling for everyone. Culture engagement is not like something that, you know, only pastors or seminary professors or something are supposed to do. This is really a calling for everyone. It really is. I mean, Christians are identified in God's precious word as royal priests, Every single Christian is to be salt and light in the world. So a royal priest is getting is out there between God and the other person. And we're light. We're salt. So we are doing ministry as his people, as, quote, unquote, everyday Christians. And this is a great way to think about doing it in terms of engagement. It's not like this fancy-dancy outline you have to memorize that puts pressure on people. I give the right presentation. But just as Christians love the Word of Christ and get into the Word of God, we have the honor and privilege to get into the lives of people, to love people like we're commanded to love people, to do it joyfully. And when we do that, we see that unique person in front of us, and we just start, start to have a dialogue. We just start to love them. We just start to give them a genuine attention and care. And guess what? The Holy Spirit takes over and gives us an opening to share the saving gospel of Jesus Christ. And what really empowers us is 1 Peter 3.15, but honor Christ in your hearts as holy and always be prepared to give an answer to anyone who asks for the hope that is within you, yet do it with gentleness and respect. We get to live out 1 Peter 3.15 as God's people. Well, so I'm, I'm so glad you point to that verse. I mean, obviously it is, um, it, it's a critical point of conversation in terms of my living in such a way that I'm really prepared to have a conversation at any point in time with any person along life's way under any set of circumstances to bring the gospel to bear. Like engaging culture is really about a, uh, a preparedness to talk with other people at every point along the way um, about the reality of God and, um, and his availability and influence. You, uh, you provide this very excellent tool. You, you call it the engagement triangle. Tell us about that. Yeah, thank you, Carmen, very much for saying that. Yeah, I wanted to give a, a very simple way for God's people to grab hold of this image, this idea that's uh, right out of God's Word. And there are 
there are three components to engaging, just three. It's easy to know, easy to learn. And, and, and picture in your mind's eye an equilateral triangle. The tip, the very top, is the starting point. And the tip is called perspective. Then go down the right to the bottom right-hand corner of that equilateral triangle. You get to the second P of God's word, which is people, people. Then go, go along the base to the left, to the left-hand corner of that equilateral triangle. You get to the third P, which is place. And then you go back up to the top, and you're back to perspective, and around and around you go with this engagement triangle. And the P at the very top is perspective, which is precisely the perspective taught in 1 Peter 3.15, honor Christ as Lord in your hearts. Always be prepared to give an answer to all who ask for the hope that is within you. Do it with gentleness and respect. Then you go down to people, second P, and that's 1 Corinthians chapter 9. Verse 22, Paul says, For I have become all things to all men, that I may save some by all possible means. That's getting into the shoes of other people, seeing that unique person, knowing we always have something in common with anyone we talk to, any place we are, and then go across to the other side of the equilateral triangle. You get to place, and there we have the great example in God's Word, Acts chapter 17, when Paul goes into the Areopagus, and you want to talk about relating and understanding the unique environment where you are at, Paul takes note of it. He connects with the Athenians. He starts to, you know, quote their poets a couple of times, and he's getting into speaking their language and relating to them uniquely for the sake of sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ. So that's the equilateral triangle. That that's the engagement triangle. Three Ps: perspective, people, place. And then one of the things I really appreciate that you do, Alfonso, is you then um, apply that to cultural issues. And you have some conversations with um, some really interesting people who are engaging the culture um, on particular issues. Let's take a very brief break. When we come back, let's talk about that. I am talking with Dr. Alfonso Espinosa. We're talking about his new book, Faith That Engages the Culture. And we'll be right back. We Continuing our conversation now with uh, with Dr. Alfonso Espinosa, we're talking about faith that engages the culture. We have talked about the three points um, on the engagement triangle: perspective, people, and place. And um, and then you apply this uh, this engagement triangle to the cultural issues, both within and around us. Talk talk about what's going on here uh, in terms of not only what you talk about in the book, but what's really happening in people's lives. So uh, there's 12 chapters in the book, introduction, 12 chapters, conclusion. And the first half of the book, the first six chapters, I want people, I want Christians just to be able to take a deep breath, breathe easy. You don't have to be intimidated. You don't have to be afraid. You don't have to memorize this long, fancy, dancy outline for sharing the faith. Just get the triangle down and just get into people. Just love people and be ready to give a testimony. And that, that basic word from 1 Peter 3.15 is testifying to the truth. Uh, it's always great to quote a scripture, but l- let's say you're kind of nervous and you forget. It's okay. Just speak the truth. God loves you. <laughs> and, and he proved it by sending his son Jesus for you. But then I get to the second half of the book, which, which you're alluding to now, because over the years, uh, I have observed as a pastor for 30 years now, about 30 years this, this summer, 
that a lot of people say, you know, I want to share the gospel, but when it comes to certain subject matter, I just kind of melt, you know? So there are certain, uh, there are certain things in the culture that can be really intimidating and are, are certainly critical issues. And so we go into these six chapters to take on, um, and it's divided into two parts, the last six chapters. The first part are cultural issues that surround us. And so here we take the engagement triangle and we apply it to the following three subject matters uh, that we are facing in the culture all the time, that very oftentimes can seem like it's against the saving faith. Number one, science. Number two, politics. And number three, dehumanization, where I really get into how secularism is just attacking uh, God's standard for life. Then the second half of that, we go into cultural issues that are within us. And there we talk about sexuality, addiction, and then finally depression. I'm, I'm, I'm making notes um, because I want to be you know, reminded of what's, um, what's in here and all that you cover. And I'm now thinking that as people are hearing, hey, this is actually uh, going to equip me to um, engage not only my neighbors, but my family members, my friends, the next generation, people around me, um, at points where they're really hurting, they're really confused, um, where the gospel has something to say, but I don't necessarily know how the gospel engages on that topic. That's what the second half of this book is about, which is why I've waited to tell you that I have copies to give away. So now that I have whetted your appetite, uh, if you are interested in entering the drawing for the copies of Faith That Engages the Culture that we have to give away today, go ahead and text the word book to 877-933-2484. Again, you're going to text the word book to 877-933-2484. Eight four faith that engages the culture, um, Alfonso. Let's let's dig into one of these of 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 all of these subject matter areas: science, politics, personhood, um, uh, a, a sexuality, addiction, depression. Um, let's just take one. I'll let you pick which one we take, and and talk with us about what you learned in um, in this process, and then. Um, and then how we are equipped as Christians with the gospel to engage on a particular issue of the day. That's fantastic. Um, thank you. All of these are near and dear to me as I've observed um, as a pastor, as a, as a Christian, about what's really challenging the body of Christ. And um, I also want to say just a quick second, I love what you said about the long-term relationships in family and friends. Yes, we engage uh, maybe with the person we're standing in line with to get coffee, but we especially have golden opportunities with those long-standing relationships. Amen to that, sister. Um, let me touch on politics simply because it's been like so much in front of us. Because it's so sexy. Yeah, I'm sorry. Right, it's so sexy, right? <laughs> and it's that we're getting it constantly, right? And uh, so here I, I, I want to I, I share some highlights in terms of, first of all, remember that God's Word is truth. And the culture without God can only speak in half-truths or, or just flat-out deception. And, and one, of the, one, one of the deceptive ideas is that politics is just about government or just about the state. And when you talk to people, usually in the culture, they have a tendency to go in that direction. 
I'm talking about politics. It's all about what's happening in Washington, D.C., or local government. But the biblical perspective is that politics, from the word polis, which means city, is the total biblical view of the city, which is, get a load of this, three estates clearly taught in the powerful and life-giving Word of God. Hmm. If we're going to be thorough and proper, we're going to talk about the church, because the church is a big part of the politics. And we're going to talk about, number two, the family. The family is huge. It's crucial. It's fundamental for the lifeblood of the proper politics. And number three, finally, you get to the government, which God established according to Romans chapter 13. So we're bringing to the conversation a fuller view, and we're offering to the person we're talking to this fuller view for their own good, so they can benefit from the resources of the church and the resources of family to be encouraged in their family vocations, and also the big picture. But remember that we understand that people get really upset about politics. And so we can take a deep breath and remember what First Peter 3.15 said, we are to speak to them with gentleness. So I'm going to make it like a rule in my mind and heart. I am not going to be argumentative because I'm going to find my common ground, like 1 Corinthians 9.22 says, and my common ground means no matter where this person's coming from, no matter their political party or their worldview, I have common ground with this person when it comes to this subject matter. Why? Because every person... What, well, I would say at least 99% of all people want peace. They want mm -hmm. preservation. They want protection. You know what that means? I've got common ground with this person. The second thing that's helpful, Carmen, on this particular topic is we remind ourselves there are reasons people react the way they do when it comes to the subject matter of politics. And, and some basic motivations to help us get into their shoes and to understand some people have their positions because they're angry. They're just mad. And it's the way they cope with their anger in life is to get into the conflict and to get into the arguments of politics. It's almost serving like this, this addiction. I know it sounds drastic, but there are people who lose sleep and, and get their blood pressure up when it comes to politics. And what are they showing? They have this spiritual burden upon their hearts that we should be compassionate towards. Secondly, some people can get into politics because they want power. They are, they are, in a calculating way, establishing their position so as to have more control and power in life. And guess what? Everything is going to come down. Everything's turning to dust. And if you really want to have security in your life, you know, as I know, you need the Lord Jesus Christ. And finally, uh, people will also come from the motivation that having the right political position means I'm a good person. It's kind of my form of works righteousness to have the right position in politics because I can demonstrate that I'm a good person who deserves to be counted as being good. When we understand the motivations, now we're in a better position to dialogue with this person and to be that effective, engaging disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ. Yeah, I so appreciate that. I appreciate how um, how clear your approach is, how simple the triangle is. Like each time that we, you know, go to set about talking about a particular issue, all right, well, well then we're going to go to that top dot and we're going to say, you know, we're going to say to ourselves, what's God's perspective on this? What's the perspective that we, 
you know, ought to have on these things based on God's view of it all. Um, you go to Scripture, you go to um, the confessions. I think it's just tremendously helpful in terms of establishing the perspective. And then, yeah, moving to the approach to the people, um, it's just, it, it's it's very, very helpful on each and every one of these um, issue areas. I think there's just a lot of us, Alfonso, who we say to ourselves, I want to engage. I want to bring the Christian worldview to bear. I want to be a good ambassador of the king and the kingdoms, uh, of the king and the kingdom, big K, in the midst of the kingdoms of this world. But I don't really know quite how to do that. I feel like you've given us a handbook um, that we can use in terms of cultural engagement. Thank you, Carmen. It was really my vision, my prayer, because just meeting so many devout brothers and sisters in Christ who carry this burden, I, I want to be mm-hmm. faithful to the Lord, and I, I want to answer His call for the Great Commission. But then we go on to give, unfortunately, oftentimes in the church, give Christians the impression that, you know, you have to go out and get a master's degree in apologetics or something. You've got to learn this and memorize that and have this philosophy down, this logical presentation down. And then it becomes like this image of a sales pitch, like you're telling somebody, right? You're, you're, you're giving a, a lecture presentation or something. No, get it out of your head. It's also not like a platform debate. Like exactly. It doesn't, it, doesn't, it doesn't work out that way in human relationships. It just doesn't. Exactly. Yeah, right. it's way more conversational, it, and I feel like that's what you're equipping us to do. It's relational, conversational. That's exactly it. And, and I get now I get to trust the Holy Spirit to lead me to love this person in front of me no matter what, to show them what, Christ, what makes a Christian different. When everyone else is being argumentative and getting hostile, et cetera, et cetera, we are being gentle. We are being kind. You know, we might, Amen. our flesh comes back and says, this person doesn't deserve it. What, what does that have to do with anything? <laughs> I don't deserve the grace of God. I got it. So I can, no. you know, I love, we love because he first loved us. So that's, that's our spring word. Yeah. Amen. Um, that is Alfonso Espinosa. You can, you should follow him on Facebook, Pastor AOE, Pastor AOE. The book is Faith That Engages the Culture. Alfonso, what a joy. Thank you for joining us today. Carmen, what a great privilege and honor to be here. Thank you for your ministry, sister. Oh, well, thank you. It's been a lot of fun. We'll be right back. So as you uh, survey what you got for Christmas this year, I'm wondering what stands out as like your favorite number one gift on the list. Um, I'm going to say that my favorite gift uh, was the presence of other people. So not the presence because I'm not a gift person, presence with a T in there, but I'm a, um, I'm a quality time and certainly an acts of service person. And so the presence of other people is really important to me. I also think that it sort of manifests the reality of the incarnation. Like I really celebrate that at Christmas, God came in human flesh to dwell among us. It's his presence that matters. Not the presence under the tree per se, but the presence of Christ in the midst. And so um, as you're thinking about the gifts that you received this Christmas, where does the gift of Jesus, you know, sort of land on the list? That might be a little convicting to consider today. Um, But I consider it a gift every single day that you honor me with the time that you share. And so thank you. Thank you so much. And thank you to each and every one of you who has um, given financially this year to support the ministry. In these final days of 2021, if you're in a position to do so, love to invite you to make a year-end gift at MyFaithRadio.com. We rely on listener support, and that means we rely on you. So thank you so much to each and every one who has already given, and thanks to you who will give at this year end. 
Have a great day and God bless. Thanks for listening to this podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBurge from Faith Radio. If you haven't, you can subscribe to automatically receive the podcast through iTunes or the Google Play Music app. That way you never miss an episode. It's also available anytime at MyFaithRadio.com.